the other night, uh, I guess it was the other day, we had like two snowstorms blow through Amarillo. <clears throat> the first one came through, and it was like mostly just ice, right? So it was like a, what would you say, maybe like two inches, three inches of ice blew in. The next day, we had a second storm blow through, and it laid probably, what, six inches, seven inches of snow? I mean, at least in places. Amarillo is very drifty, you know, so you'll have like a deep snow drift and then completely bare ground. So it's like how much snow fell. But the trampoline collected quite the load. So it had all of that ice plus all of that snow on top of it. And Shannon was like, hey, uh, before you go to bed, you might want to make sure that that trampoline is shoveled. Because it, it's got, what, like a 300-pound weight? No, it's more than that. Maybe 600-pound? No, it's not. It. I don't think it's that much. I think 300 is mm. accurate. So I've, it's it's low enough to where I do catch myself doing math in my head before, like when I'm watching kids play or uh, getting on there myself. I'm always like, okay, how much weight do we have on here and what's the weight limit? So it, it is low. Uh, anyway, it was dipped down super low in the middle of the backyard. And I went out there with a shovel, and I was like, all right, I'm just going to shovel off 180 pounds so that I can get up on there and then keep shoveling. You know, I didn't want to step on and put it over its breaking point. So I start shoveling snow, and it just keeps coming, keeps coming, keeps coming. I finally get enough off. I hop up in there. I'm shoveling snow. <clears throat> My back kind of starts getting that, like, you know, that like, tension when you're you're pushing a little too hard. You're redlining. You know, uh, having borrowed time, I'm shoveling all the snow off. And uh, I was telling Shannon, it was kind of funny because it, it made me start reflecting on the trampoline. And it's been weird. I would say that the trampoline is like a common meditation like place my mind goes. Because that's where we got that trampoline for the net to keep my little kid on, Emmett, when he was running around. So now I've watched Emmett stumble around running in that net for three years, two years? Probably two years. Probably two years. And then now Callahan's stumbling around. I get up there and wrestle with him and stuff. But that trampoline, you know, it's been it's been there, and it's just a spot to go with the kids to where we can both play and they can be safe. They're not going to, like, die because they it's got the net, you know? It's like safe. So I'm shoveling all this off. Um, and it made me start thinking about how it is like the simplest things that create these, I say, I I have it written down here as profound revelations, but that was me kind of being, uh, verbose in my writing. You know, I don't exactly know why, why I wrote that in there, but I got two lessons from shoveling the trampoline the other night. One lesson is it doesn't take much money to have a whole lot of fun because we got that trampoline for under 200 bucks. And we've played on it maybe every day. Eh, sometimes it's too cold. But maybe every day since since then. A lot of bang for your buck. And <clears throat> I think it's really easy for me in like Instagram culture, Facebook culture, just living normal life, seeing people flexing. And sometimes you think, man, it's having that little bit more would make me happier in some sense. When in reality... At least when I look and observe my own life, <clears throat> most of the things that bring me the most amount of joy are cheap things. It's not like an expensive, like getting on that trampoline 200 bucks. 
the second lesson that I got was that people need to start letting loose with their kids a little bit more. It's always kids playing on the trampoline. You never see an adult playing on the trampoline. Well, I just see so many kid toys that look awesome, but it's kind of considered <sighs> weird if I were to play on them. It's like, I want to go jump on a trampoline. Right, right. I probably have just as much fun as Emmett jumping around. Why is that weird? We need a bigger trampoline, though. <laughs> Family size. Yeah, that one. that one's a little bit too small. But <clears throat> it made me think of back in the... Dies the days dies. What was that word even? Um, of the climbing gym, whenever you know, <clears throat> I guess I was twenty one when the climbing gym opened. How old were you? Do you remember? I think I was still in high school. I think I was like eighteen. So <clears throat> you would see this, especially with that age group, the high school, um, early high school, where you still need your parent to give you a ride places. When they would come in. And sometimes you would see the dad or the mom participate with the kids. But the majority of the time, the adult would sit down on the side and then let the kids play. And uh, it always kind of struck me because I was 21, so I, I wasn't quite the age of the parents, but I wasn't quite the age of the kid. So whenever I looked out there, I was like, why is that person not climbing? You know? I mean, and I feel like maybe that's just part of the activity is you want everybody to kind of be doing it. It's more fun the more people that are getting psyched or having fun or whatever. So the only way to move like a kid is to live like a kid, you know? Like I watch Emmett. He can jump off of the edge of the trampoline, not even plan his landing, hits the ground. His butt literally, like he lands on his feet, but his butt touches the ground. And he just hops up and boop, he's gone. Nothing, you know? If I jumped off of a, an equivalent height like that and I, I performed that uh, that landing, I would be in bed for a week, you know? It would probably crack my hips, you know, in half maybe if I did that. He just does it and he just takes off, you know? But I wonder some of the health implications of that, of like what, what if – Instead of being as sedentary as we Americans currently are, <clears throat> we participated in events the way kids participate in events. So, for instance, <clears throat> Emmett right now, he's big into turning me into a tiger. And so he'll say he turns me into a tiger and then he's like wants me to pretend to be a tiger and like wrestle with him. It is difficult to be a tiger on hardwood floors. You know, like crawling around on your knees. You got to get up on your toes. I mean, but then whenever you ask him to do something, he, boom, dude, he will drop from standing to his knees on a hardwood floor and then take off crawling. Maybe Most I'll... adults don't try to move like that, too. I mean, that's, that's kind of your point. Yes. I find myself doing it all the time where I assess the movement I'm about to do before I do it. You know, whereas a kid just instinctually does it. So, but anyway, all right, that's my intro monologue. Move more. Move more. Yeah, play with your kids on the dang trampoline. But anyway, um, so I'm playing with a new show format now. Uh, Shannon, you've been in on the last couple of episodes, maybe? Um, and then Austin, I can't remember which episode you were on. Me either. But it was a while back, but Austin's one of my buddies. Um... And I'm going to try these new formats where 
we just kind of do these little monologues and then we do like a little talk afterwards and then we we move along but uh go ahead and introduce shannon shannon um scholar uh mother i'm lucky enough to call this woman my wife so uh at this point i wanted to go ahead and throw out the shannon shout outs do you want to do that real quick uh yes so are we are we mentioning that we had done this once before yeah no? uh, i think we, we've kind of established that okay because the... <laughs> i'm just doing the same shout outs yeah yeah yes yeah. that's what i had and they didn't get shouted, shouted out, out appropriately Not appropriately okay first one again act surprised Mr. Robot. Mm -hmm. And I've now, since the last time we did talk about this, I've had two new people watch the show. So. And become obsessed. I'm really gaining momentum. Yeah, she's getting there. She's going to really popularize this. (laughs) But it really is, to me, the best show to represent, I think, our culture today. It does a very good job of showing some of the concerns and fears of today's society. So yeah, have first you, you haven't watched. No, so. I plan to tune tune in uh, December. Uh, the Expanse uh, season comes out on Amazon Prime oh, too, really? so I'll double up on that subscription. Do nice, Robot. cool. Yeah. Yes. Oh, and the Expanse is it about to be over? Is this the last? Uh, it's based on books. I think there's seven. I think this is season five. Hmm. I, I started that and then stopped. So I'd like to pick that back up at some point. Okay, Mr. Robot number one. Number okay, two. second one is the book Because Internet, Understanding the New Rules of Language by Gretchen McCullough. Which also, the last time I mentioned this, I had not completely read the book. And since then, I have finished it. And written a book review about it. So, I recommend it because it really discusses how the internet is affecting language, but it's a positive change. I think most people think of social media and even texting. Texting is lumped in there with like emails, texting, Twitter that were like ruining the English language. That acronyms and memes and all these are dumbing down English. And you hear that from a lot of teachers and people like that. And her point is that is completely absurd and not the case at all. And she is the leading internet linguist. So she has the credibility. She's, she's the go-to person for this subject. So if anybody's ever been curious about memes or emojis or really just anything that has to do with internet and how language has evolved because of the internet, read the book. So that is pretty interesting because it's like um, a certain amount of how you read text you try to carry it over into your conversation, would you say? What do you mean? So, like, for instance, if uh, I think of it specifically, like, with a 15-year-old girl uh, or something like that, where they they are so active in their communication that, like, they'll be texting and, say, speaking, like, OMG, you know, or like what the abbreviation. Yeah. Like they'll say, um, oh my God, what did that guy say? But instead of using all of those words, they say like two acronyms. Yeah, so know? she discusses that in the book and how these acronyms were invented, 
you know, to fit into a certain space. Like maybe, I mean, especially when texting cost money per oh, letter dang. and things like that. You, you did shorten things because it was efficient and you kind of needed to do so. But they've... Their meaning has changed. I forgot about those days. And look at LOL. I mean, it's already evolved so much over the years, like, what its meaning is. So now, if you're just trying to respond to someone and you laugh versus saying LOL, those are two completely different Mm. connotations. So if you're trying to send a message in real life, like if you're actually in conversation and you want to evoke the same... Like uh, mean meaning or like not mean meaning, but if you want to invoke the same like a uh, feeling, the same sentiment as LOL, why not just say LOL? Mm-hmm. It gets the point across. Mm-hmm. We understand it. Like the internet and texting is so ubiquitous that everyone, at least in those communication groups, are going to understand the meaning. Right. That it's not the same as just ha ha. It's right, different. Right. It is different. And if you understand that, why wouldn't you use that outside of? Texting as well. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. What do you think about that, Austin? Well, part of it's sh- like shortening, but also part of it, I think, is like a code. Mm-hmm. So where you can embed a different meeting into something that face value you wouldn't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's that. And then I also thought about in like previous history, telegraphs shortened communication because mm-hmm. you had to pay per letter yeah. for that. Um, military's always abbreviated stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure exactly why. Probably just to get a, a message across faster mm. in military terms. And also code. That's what I would but, probably say the majority of it is, is that I imagine that they wanted to be able to talk to other Marines. So they had a common Marine language that maybe the other side wouldn't understand or, you know. Yeah. Or it, it's also a way of identifying um, an ally, maybe? I don't... A shibboleth? A, sh- mm. a shibboleth, shibboleth is something that you can use to see if someone is on your side or not. Like, um, how you say things. Like, pronunciation is a quick way. Um, if someone pronounces... Like, I grew up in Bushland. If someone came in and said Bushland... It's yeah. like that's a shibboleth. Yeah, it's a you tell. know, right then and there, they're not from around here. Right. So, and uh, there's been a lot of military strategies that have used like codes with words like that, so they can immediately tell, even if someone knows the passcode, if they don't say them the right way, and you can't know how to say them the right way unless you are from there or grew up in right. that or have been around it. Yeah. It's an insight into the culture that yeah. you can only attain through being in the culture. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder how much of that was going on <clears throat> during the Civil War. Because you got to imagine, man, if your line's getting overrun and you know, you know, I mean, you switch a jacket, you switch a hat. Hey, dude, I'm on your side, you know. You have to have tells. But, yeah, you got to think that they're, they probably, the soldiers would be able to tell who the other soldiers were and where they came from based off of, like, barrack talk, you know. I mm-hmm. bet. I don't know. I wonder how much of that happened. Well, in, in the Civil War, you know, family members were fighting on different sides. That's true. Um, especially in the states real close to the the boundary, the Mason-Dixon line. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think you could easily, unless they were really good at changing their voice, you could tell a Yankee from a, a Southerner, a southerner yeah. pretty quickly. Yeah, I heard in the, in how wide you open your mouth is one of the things. The further north you go, the more they open their, ma- their mouth to talk. 
Southerners talk with their mouths closed a lot because of the dirt and the wind. Especially around here, we talk like with our mouths almost closed compared to a lot of other people. We do not enunciate our words in the same way, but it's because of the dirt and the wind and just... Hmm. I mean, you kind of had to keep your mouth closed or else you'd get a lot of dirt in your mouth. Yes. This is one thing that <clears throat> I've enjoyed about coronavirus is that I now have an excuse to wear a bandana all the time. And like, Feel and, like a cowboy? Well, yeah. There's some times where you want to pull the... Like, especially right now in the beginnings of winter. Yeah. There's some times where you want to pull just something up over your mouth because the wind is so cold and fast that, you know, it helps you... Bites the skin. Yeah. It kind of makes you a lot warmer covering your mouth but uh it's kind of coronavirus giving me an excuse to do that kind of pretend to be a cowboy again um that was number two two yeah i think that's all i'll do today because the third one that i did have was the restaurant but i i feel like we should eat there first yeah we need to eat there so i'll save that one for another time yeah yeah okay austin you got any quick shout outs that you want to anything you want to throw out there no man, you put me on the spot. I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't give I you enough. I was doing shout-outs. Well, I didn't know. I I don't know. I just gave Shannon some time to give a shout out, and I was kind of like, man, I didn't know if you expanse. You say you're about to finish that. Up, or yeah, I mean, I mix. recommend the expanse. I think it's the best. Uh, I have sci-fi heard, show. Yeah, I've heard right uh, physicists or people who like space people say that that is the most accurate representation of what being in space would be like. That that like that they get the um, that they get the science yeah. side of it the most correct because the belters. Do you, have you heard about this yet? The Expanse series. Uh, I actually I think haven't. We should probably start that. I bet that would be a good one for us to start. But you said it's on Amazon. Yeah, Amazon Prime. It they, started on Sci-Fi. They canceled it, and the fans there's a huge uproar. So Amazon bought it, and it's actually improved it because Amazon's put more money into it. That'd be cool. I've I've slowly started getting into sci-fi. Yeah, I Shannon was not a hater, sci-fi. dude. She was a hater. But now I appreciate it. And I think especially this show, it's very well done. It seems to show different classes in a super interesting manner. Um, so classes represented interestingly. They have some dynamic characters. And there's a little bit of mystery in there too, you know. So it's kind of a some several things to get you, but. Oh, and some expanse. Hmm. I need to finish that show then. Anything else? Not really. No, right. that's fine. That's fine. All right. At this point in the show, I'm gonna take a quick musical break. That way, we can maybe go to the bathroom, and let the heater run for a minute, and warm up the room. <clears throat> um, I'm gonna play in honor of Halloween. Um, Black caskets. Uh, my buddy Stewart. It's band. Uh, they just put out a single. So I was going to play that single on here. He gave me permission to do this. So, and it's kind of a Halloween-y song. So enjoy.
So that was Black Potion by the Black Caskets. Very Halloweeny. Yeah, very Halloweeny. I I'm sad that they had to cancel their Halloween show. I was telling y'all about that off air, but um, I've really enjoyed. I've I've seen them live several times. Uh, I think maybe three, and every single time was very enjoyable. So they're a a. a good local talent that might become a great local talent maybe they'll they'll go off you know live in nashville live the dream anyway you want to riff on that last little bit uh a bit austin sorry i kind of uh the whole plan was to to leave a little bit of space afterwards but we went straight into shannon shout outs yeah sure uh yeah so you were talking about just trying to stay young mm-hmm and the more you um, act young, the longer you stay young. Maybe. Yeah, I think that they're that. I would probably say that's a principle. Yeah, of life. I think that is a main aspect of it. Isn't uh, the common thinking that like you peak physically in your thirties, uh, like Olympic athletes? And stuff? Well, yeah, professional athletes. They they typically, you know, you don't see many football players after their thirties. You don't see hardly. Any Olympians, I think, after their thirties. I think they do say though. I think men specifically do peak testosterone wise and yeah, all that stuff. Somewhere in their thirties, I think that is proven or proven scientifically proven. Yeah. Yeah. And then I've also heard like, yeah, you can maintain that physical fitness for a while, but then also you you're uh, more wise to the activities you're doing and mm-hmm. how to approach them and you know warming up and cooling down and all that. So. 
you know, you're fighting a losing battle, but you can do as much as you can to, to stop it. Well, that's what I want. Oh, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say, but I think, yes, that is true in an athletic sense. If you're trying to be an athlete or, or like we were talking about jumping off of a trampoline onto the ground. Yes, if you're getting older, that's not smart to do that. Right. However, there are a lot of small things that adults can do to just improve their health that they don't do. I mean, just, I mean, how many older people have problems just bending down or squatting down? Mm. And it's simple tasks like that, that yes, there are health problems, not to dismiss those, but just stretching, moving, being more mobile, just, yeah, I mean, there's so many other activities. Well, and that's an aspect of aging that really leads to uh, morbidity, wouldn't that be the correct term, Um, is older people falling and hitting the ground and breaking a hip and then laying in the ground for hours and hours because they can't get to you know uh we we go on a lot of calls like that but it it's one of those interesting things if you don't use it every day steadily you lose it very rapidly but one of the things i was gonna i don't know you made me think of is so for instance a lot of the best ultra runners are older typically it's very uncommon to see a very young ultra runner uh and they're doing amazing feats you know but tip it seems like the potential just starts at 35 for a lot of them so i don't know i wonder well with ultra running there's a big mental aspect Mm -hmm. of just pushing through the pain and well what i was going to say is strategy you have to be of a certain like maturity level yeah. to run that far. Mm-hmm. You can't be young, too young and just but immature I, to do that. The uh who is the skier? Um Lindsay Vaughn. Y'all know her? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speed skater or speed skier. So she's an amazing athlete. Like genetically and mentally and everything, but she has blown her body up. So now she can still do these amazing runs. She can still go super fast. She's a high-level athlete, but she's completely broken apart based off of the activity she was, like, you know, uh, participating in. And that's what I wonder if, like, the same thing is happening to the majority of our bodies just from sedentariness. So she's pushing it at these, like, crazy Gs around these turns and going crazy fast and crashing and tearing up her body. What if sitting in a chair for eight hours a day commuting for two hours a day sitting in your car what if that is the equivalent of tumbling down a mountain just without the dynamics and without like the excitement you know what i'm saying that's what i wonder if like if there is a way of just reimagining our day like for instance working in the garden you know uh, you bend down, you have to like kind of move stuff around, you have to be a little agile, you have to look under stuff, move your neck around and all this stuff. Watching Emmett run through the garden, it's like, dude, that's that's the way you move because he, he drops it, you know, he, everything about it. So I wish maybe, maybe if we started or stayed in the garden from childhood, whenever we're 80, we wouldn't necessarily be as prone to falling on the ground and not being able to get up. Well, and I see it 
a lot too with Zumba. Because when I did Zumba a lot, I'd invite friends to come. And there were so many people that would say, no, I can't do that. I, you know, like, that's embarrassing, or I'm, I'm not going to do that. I don't feel comfortable dancing. My body doesn't move like that. Whatever. Tons of excuses because they did not want to do that, or they didn't think they could. But dancing has so many, like, health benefits because you're just moving. I mean, how many people even just put their arms above their heads in the day? Like, if you're just sitting at work all day and then you go home, you're not even stretching. Like, I mm -hmm. mean, but people were, like, too embarrassed to even try yeah. And I think that's an aspect of Emmett that you're trying to get back to is try. You may look like an idiot. Mm -hmm. That is okay. Have fun. It's healthy for, like, it's good for you. It's fun. You're getting a workout. Let loose. Like, yeah. move your body. That is what it is meant to do. It is not meant to sit in a chair all day long. Right. Society is so established, though, now with the nine to five. Yeah. Whoa, it was was established I like think, that's what I i'm saying man it is still is you think so yeah i think I th it is it's in a majority. transitioning i yeah. think especially with coronavirus it is changing but it is still pretty established well yeah. that's what i'm saying is like the post coronavirus age that's so actually i'll go ahead and jump into this segment because i think we're on it is the positive side of quarantine this was going to be my next, or my last segment, but I'll move it to this segment. So, reflecting on the past six months and saying, is our society better off or worse off than it was this time last year? You know, some of that's a difficult thing to say because we were so blissfully ignorant of a lot of things that the coronavirus, well, the coronavirus showing up, but quarantine. Uh, the lockdown, the shutting down of all these stores, kind of the isolation of each individual. Uh, there's a lot of negative sides to this whole situation. But a few of the positive sides that I think were just below the surface of this thing. Um, one of them was... Interesting, my brother-in-law from down in Stephenville messaged me. He was getting in better shape, running. He ran that 25K with us. And he was looking for different ways of getting in shape. And one of the great things is kettlebells. You know, you can keep them. They're easily stored. You can have three and get a variety of amazing workouts. You know, it's a very versatile tool. So he was looking for this because, you know, he just wanted to work out with it. And he couldn't find him anywhere. He sent me a message. We were going to go down to Stephenville to visit family. And he sent me a message and said, Hey, man, can you swing by Academy or Walmart or somewhere and see if they have any kettlebells? Because I can't find any. The internet was sold out of kettlebells. On Facebook, like marketplaces and the buy, sell, trade pages, there were a ton of people asking for fitness equipment because they were sold out. So demand went up enough to where the local price of buying weights went up from like a dollar a pound to a dollar fifty, two dollars a pound. So that's saying a pair of fifty pound dumbbells went from being a hundred dollars to a hundred and fifty dollars. That's a pretty steep increase, you know? But to me there is a 
silver lining in that. It's like enough people were pursuing stronger bodies, uh, higher physical fitness during quarantine at their houses. You know, they were integrating it into their day instead of, hey, I have to uh, go to the gym after work for 30 minutes, right? Well, now if the kettlebell's just in the floor of your house, you're more apt to just, hey, I'm going to pick it up once an hour. Dude, if you picked up a kettlebell once an hour, I wonder what the what that would happen, like what would happen to your body, you know? Get a big one, like a 50-pounder, something like that. Anyway, digression, I'm sorry. You'd be sore. You'd be sore. Yeah. You'd be sore for sure. Um That's one of the positive sides, I think, of quarantine is... And bikes were sold out, too. Oh, bikes. That's another great example. Bikes were sold, are still, I think, sold out. I went into one of the local bike shops, and no joke, every rack has a bike in it. But there's no bikes for sale. Those are all repairs. Oh, wow. So they're completely packed with repairs. And they, they don't have any bikes Which to that sell. is really cool, because I've known cool. a lot of the people I know who bought bikes is so that they could ride on, like, family bike rides. Mm-hmm. So it's like spending time outside. With your kids. And with your kids. And Do, doing, like, a healthy activity. Doing something that's also mentally engaging. I mean, there's something, I mean, truly that makes you feel like a little kid when you're, like, just cruising around on a bike. It's so fun. It's kind of freeing in a sense. But So bikes being sold out, kettlebells being sold out. There was a huge uproar about pe- them closing the gyms. Like a lot of people were basically saying, hey, I got to have the gym, you know, like it's a key part of my life. And so I do think that that was a positive side of quarantine or yeah, quarantine. Another positive side of quarantine, I think, is um, people being shooken out of their state of, is shooken a word? Shaken. Shaken. You can say they were shook. They were shook. Shooketh. 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 Shooketh beyond. (laughs) I've seen like a meme that has that, like, I've been shooketh or something. (laughs) Out of complacency, right? So shooketh out of complacency. Like, quarantine, this coronavirus, all this lockdown, I think part of the reason conspiracy theory is being thrown around so much is because we are realizing we were living in a conspiracy theory like there was probably people in the 80s 90s who were saying all of this stuff was going to happen and people were saying dude you're crazy like there's no way any of that's happening you're a conspiracy theorist and i bet a lot of them have been right you know shannon's come across some on uh and there are, I mean, there's a whole list of conspiracy conspiracy theories you can look up that have been proven true. Mm-hmm. That they used to be a conspiracy theory and have since been proven correct. Right. So, I mean, that's not crazy to think that conspiracy theories could be true. Well, and that's what I'm saying is, like, there's a certain amount of, and I hate using the term wokeness, that comes from something like this happening. It's like, oh, my goodness, we might be in some trouble, you know? I don't think it has to be woke, because I think now that's kind of a played-out word in a way. Right. But it's just an awareness. I think a lot of Americans have been blissfully unaware of a lot of things. And now it's a little bit of pulling the curtain back, which is a good thing. Yeah. Like, wake up. Let's let's actively engage in what our country is, or is becoming, or mm-hmm. whatever. But just be aware. You got anything on that? Uh, yeah, I agree. I think we've 
become more aware of our mortality through this. Mm. And uh, I'm guilty of it, just kind of living life with blinders on, not really looking at the whole picture. But something like this pandemic that definitely brings a lot of stuff to light that mm-hmm. you were purposely staying away from. I guess, I mean, there's a lot of people that have gotten sick, a lot of people that have died. Um, but not a whole lot has changed, at least in the Amarillo area, other than not being able to go out and stuff. It is, uh, it's strange. I'm sure it's vastly different than being in California. Oh, ever. dude. Could you imagine being in, like, New York City, being locked in an apartment for... Whew. Did y'all see California's Thanksgiving mandates? Uh, mm-hmm. They're crazy. You have to eat outside. You can only invite, I forget the number of how many people you can invite. You have to write down who came oh and where gosh. they live. Oh my gosh. You can only go inside to use the bathroom if it's sanitized frequently. And the craziest thing is they don't encourage you to sing, but if you must sing, you must wear a mask and you what? must sing under uh, talking level That is an voices. odd rule. Yeah. Like if you're already outside and if you're spaced apart, don't sing too loud though. How do you police that? Keep it yeah. down. Keep it I down over there. It's frivolous because you can't you, you can't yeah. police it. It's yeah. ridiculous. That, that, uh, I that governor's that. on a total power trip. Yeah, I've heard him and uh, the one in New York, Cuomo, that both of them are kind of, it's like, dude, Stop. Well, and then also uh, Gretchen Whitmer, Michigan's mm-hmm. governor, uh, the Michigan Supreme Court said, told her her mandates were unlawful. She went too far, above and beyond what she could. Damn. Uh, the, or what she for had the the Cal- for California? For Michigan. Michigan. Oh, Michigan. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's crazy because, I mean, I know that's not an Amarillo, but... I want to be supportive. Of course, I want to do my part in making sure that we're not spreading an unnecessary virus, right? Yeah. But when you have something like that, like, oh, well, don't sing above talking level. It's like you're asking for people to not support it. Yes. I will support mm-hmm. logical rules Yeah. that actually protect people. But that, it's like, what? Like I, I would argue it hurt yeah. the situation more than helped. Now yeah. people are going to go out of their way to sing as loud as it's possible. Like, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Why are you crossing this line? And just to defy the ridiculous orders. Oh, yeah. That were not, in the first place, not even enforceable. Yeah. Yeah, Ugh. it's definitely not helping. Yeah, that I do definitely think that the government response to this whole thing has gone a long ways at, at destabilizing, not stabilizing. Yeah, so many things are baffling. I just remember when we went to the baseball, um, it was a Boots versus Badges baseball game. And Boots won. They were, you know, distancing everybody. And so you had to leave a row in between each, in between every row. You could you sit know, directly every other next row. to somebody, but you couldn't so, sit So, yeah, so we got in trouble because we didn't realize that at first. So the guy just came and told us we had to move because we can't sit in front or behind someone. So we just went and moved next to them, and that's okay. <laughs> so it's just like I want I want to be supportive, but that is just baffling. Yeah, and we're outside. The sun is shining. It's like nobody feels bad. It's, you know, I mean, it's golly. Like, what are you going to – you can't regulate everything out of existence just to stop the virus spread, you know? I don't know. It's – 
I, I agree we definitely need some common sense there, but golly, the, the government's response to all of this has uh, has been very disorienting, you know, through the whole... I, I do think back to whenever it first started, and man, it seemed like there was a TV on everywhere with continual coverage. So I'm talking everywhere I went, grocery store, you know, work. I don't necessarily know about home. I wasn't ever at home. But it seemed like all the discussion, everything that was being sent to us was coronavirus. And it was all like... It was so new and scary It was like war room. You know, it felt like a war room at the time. You know, it's kind of crazy to think. It still is. I, mean, I know. It is. Ended, That's true. You know? It hasn't ended. Just two weeks. Shut down. Yeah. Flatten the curve. Yeah, flatten the curve. <laughs> we got to flatten the curve. Yeah, it's crazy. It seems like we're on the trajectory to do that again. Oh yeah. To Here. shut down again. Yeah. Yeah. Monroe. Even though they're showing, haven't they sh- had studies come out that show that it it doesn't do anything? Well, I thought the CDD- CDC came out and said that lockdowns weren't effective. Weren't, right? Weren't. And and I they think the world to say that. I think the World Health Organization has also come out and said that. Yes, yeah. That it's not effective. Yeah. But I, I, I can't keep up with it to really get a grasp of what's going yeah. on. It's like they there's so much out there. That you just can't. It's like you can't understand fully unless you were actually already studying this. Right. Unless you, you were an epidemiologist. Up. Yeah. Prior to it happening. Yeah. Well, and then it's like masks work, masks don't work. You have to have an N95 for it to be effective at all. You know, like all of these different things that they've come out with. It's just like, why are they? So, which I mean, I guess. So positive sides of coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. Well, we kind of, I went ahead and let us just go into the riff. Go ahead and. Uh, enter into the end of the the thing you know the discussion part of it which i i do think there are a lot of positive sides uh and it's easy to get focused on these negative sides these aspects that are daunting and overwhelming and kind of baffling in a sense but i do think that there have been a lot of positive sides to it i think it showed us our fragility as a country as a society but also as like a modern what? I was just going to mention, because I forgot earlier, that also, like, all the um, gardening stuff was sold out. Oh, yeah. People, the seeds there was a were huge gone, surge dude. in gardening. Seeds were gone. Guns. Guns. Guns, guns yeah. are gone. <laughs> I just thought that was interesting. My mom uh, went to a greenhouse to go buy her vegetables, and the lady said she hadn't seen this amount of, like, people gardening in so long. She had been sold out. every time. She said every time she was getting anything, it was sold out. And... She just said it was crazy. Dude, I was... And that's been everywhere. Even when I was searching for seeds, there was Mm -hmm. a lot of those already sold out. We couldn't get bell peppers? We have bell peppers. We couldn't get something else. No, I had to buy the plant. Oh, yeah. Bell pepper. They didn't have any seeds. And the lady was like, you better buy those now or you're not going to see them. You know? I was like, dang. Which, that's cool because I think people have realized how much we rely on other people or, or the government or things to provide for us. Right. But if if there's a shutdown or if we can't get access to our food, it's like, yeah, maybe we should know some some skills such as gardening. Yeah. I mean, well, maybe. it's one of those things you, you, start to, you start to look at everything a little different. I mean, <clears throat> we were just talking the other night. We don't have a way of heating our house without electricity. You know, we don't have a fireplace, don't have a wood-burning stove or anything. And so it only comes really into play like two, three times a year whenever we have a heavy snow and it's super cold. So it's like the only time you need it is when you really need it. 
but most of the time, 99% of the time, you're not ever going to, you're not going to need it, you know? How do y'all feel about that? Is it done? Positive side coronavirus? Have we, have we wrapped it up? You got anything else to say? Uh, I mean, we could talk on this for hours. I know. I think there's more to be <laughs> said. That's true. But that's if true. you have something else you want to get to, that's fine. Yeah. Well. We but, can come back. So this is going to be the title of the episode. So we'll go ahead and jump into this, and this is what we'll end on. So I'm wanting to play with this concept of being cultural refugees. We're definitely at the beginning of a new era. I don't think anybody could deny that. There's a possibility that we are just now approaching... The beginning of modern thought. Uh, we felt like we've been advancing, 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 but we might have just been opening the door to this next, this new threshold. And I'm saying it's a combination effect. Shannon's already giving me like a. Well, anytime anyone's claiming like modern thought. No, but see, this is what I was going to say. I get a little skeptical. This is what I was going to say is that only modern brains can have modern thoughts. We have a modern operating system that is the conglomeration of all of these older systems of operating. So uh, you can go from Shakespeare to Voltaire to Little Wayne, right? All of these things play into the modern thought. With each advancement, we have created new problems. So it's felt like, you know, we haven't quite popped through the bubble yet where we're where we're able to take advantage of our advancements without also causing new problems. Will we ever pop the bubble? Now, this is... I feel is, like that's chasing the impossible. No, that, I don't think so. I think that there is a possibility that we could pop the bubble. What? You got something? No, I'm, try, I'm trying to think of a... There's a, like a word. Yeah, a word that describes like the next age. The Aquarius? What? Are we entering horoscopes? <laughs> Here, type in the age of Aquarius. We're entering. That's not what I was getting at. <laughs> no, but that's kind that. of interesting. The in plasticine. December of 2020, we are in for the beginning of a new age, as Saturn and Jupiter will be aligning in the sign of Aquarius. Boom. So yes, I guess we will be entering the age of Aquarius. So we're entering into a new age, literally, physically, I guess, horoscopically. I was thinking more, you, thinking? you know, the book uh, Return of Quetzalcoatl. Oh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. December 2012. Oh, yeah, stuff. yeah. There was, there's a word for that next epoch. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, we'll have to look up that. I can't think of it. I'm totally blanking. Or you can Google it. It's definitely not Age of Aquarius. No. But I think, I mean, that probably coincides or something. Yeah. Well, that's what's so interesting is so many of those ancient calendars, those ancient ways of looking at the skies have lined up with, you know, what would be perceived as novel events. You know? Well, that's what I was going to say is it's interesting that astrology says we are entering a new age. And I think, like you said, most people would just be able to say, yeah, I feel like America is definitely entering into a new age for sure. Well, in the uh, Mayans, I believe the way that they described it was going through a womb. Uh, we interpreted it as apocalypse. But they would say, you know, you're a baby, you're an infant in your mother's stomach. Your whole world is aquatic, everything is warm, and you're given food. The next instant, you're shoved into a cold world, you know, where you need your mom's warmth. You have to eat for yourself. You now poop and pee, you know. I mean, all these different things change our perception of reality changes. And it's not necessarily an apocalypse like you're going to 
a, a lower existence, you're just going to a different existence, you know? Westworld season three, kind of. Like, that is one of the themes of the show. Yeah. Because you have to have death to have rebirth. We view death as a bad thing, but it's just the beginning of something new. Mm-hmm. And things need to die. Their death needs to happen in order for new things to grow. Right. If, if I remain the 31-year-old, or 32, gosh, year old dad <laughs> now, then the grandpa version of me can't exist. Mm-hmm. I have to progress and age and let aspects of the now die to, to take the future form. I wanted to look at different past events and imagine, you know, now we can see the cultural ramifications of past events. And so one of, so one of the examples I wanted to look at was the lost generation. Do y'all know which generation was the lost generation? I don't. I'm surprised you don't. Uh, World War II, Russia? Um, so the lost generation is a term coined by Gutrid Stein. And uh, it was popular, popularized by The Sun Also Rises, Ernest Hemingway. Specifically, was targeted at a group of expat artists residing in Paris between world wars. Some of the, the interesting things that I thought about this was I've always romanticized that era. It, there was this huge congregation of artists in this... Extremely successful artists. Extremely... I mean, Pablo Picasso. There was... Um, Dali. Dali. Fitzgerald. Anyway, Stein. Fitzgerald. Stein. Yeah, I mean, the list goes on. I mean, there was a whole lot of very influential artists. Cafes were open all night. At least I imagine they were, you know. People were drinking coffee at 3 in the morning with the piano playing in the middle of the street, you know? That's what I picture it in my mind, my romanticized version of it. Like Midnight in Paris? Exactly. That's that. I have that movie uh, with Midnight in Paris with Owen Wilson in it where have he's a writer. That's, that, it's a really... It is good. It's a good, cute movie. Yeah, it's a cute... It's not like a... It's not going to change your life. It's not pro... Uh, it's a little profound. It's fun. Saying, but it's fun. It's a fun movie. Wow. Um, (laughs) wow. (laughs) So I like to also think about this in World War One, the German advance made it within what was in a mile of of Paris. They were they were close. I don't think it was quite that quite that, but they they had open lane to get Paris. They could have gotten conquered Paris, but they took a left turn for a flank or something. I can't exactly remember, but they they did not quite make it to Paris. But that's where these people were. So they're, you know, you got to imagine battlefields were pretty close. It was a war-torn area. And that, I think, also adds to my uh, nostalgia of it, is imagining your waiter probably lost a member of their family in the war. You know, like this was recent and still like a fresh gaping wound uh, in culture, in society, right? This huge war between these two, well, multiple powers. And the, the corpse of the old world is fertilizer for the new world. So I picture all of these expats, Hemingway, all, you know, Gudrid Stein in the corpse of the old world. They're in Paris, which was on the front lines of this, like the destruction of the old world, you know? And they're hanging out in this, but it's creating the modern mind. Like, they were pushing all of the... Like, imagine our perspective of art without Dolly or without Picasso or without some of these, like, amazing muralists. Okay. 
The only thing that I feel like I have to say, because I, well, it's just something I'm always very aware of. Because I do agree. Like, these are highly influential people. They did change culture. They contributed a lot to it. And that's awesome. But we have to remember that is only a small portion. No, no, no. Like, elite society does not represent all of society. Agreed. And that is not the only art. They no. do not hold, like, a patent on art. 100%. So there's a lot of other art going on that should not be dismissed because it's not considered elite. They, You're right. They are not. But... There was an entire culture there. There was engineers, yeah, architects. Cool. There was tons of people that were all living in this same fertilize, fertilizer. It, it contributes to new thoughts, new minds. So destruction of the old world has contributed to this like modern mind, which we are now in, in possession of. And so I think that this is the next iteration of human advancement. The demise of idealistic institutions of the past in the demise of those, the fertilizer sits for the sprouting of something new and interesting. So not that Yale is gonna be is gonna disappear, but Yale needs to disappear to a certain degree. You know, there needs to be an advancement, a progression beyond could we say twentieth century thought? We're in the twenty first century now, but we're still operating on all of the thoughts and all of the institutions that were developed in the twentieth century. That's kind of how it goes throughout history though i mean it until takes a while until the slate gets wiped clean them. like world war one wiped the slate clean you know it it destroyed empires and it constrained but i think when led- you're talking about like cultural thought it's not like it just wiped 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 the slate clean of culture right 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 you know it, people still held on to their culture before it has, and it's contributing change it's contributing to modern thought mm-hmm. right the old thought that's all contributing. You could not have modern thought without all of that. Well, and like I was telling it. you the other day about after the Holocaust, how Germans did not discuss it. You know, so well, there's... Even America. It, it wasn't in American history books until like the 70s. Really? Yeah. That's what this uh, professor was talking about, how she studies German literature and how it didn't come... Like the Holocaust wasn't processed it wasn't mentioned in german literature until what she said maybe like the 70s or 80s like the germans didn't know what to do with this it's like well we have this do we write about it do we not write about it do we forget about it do we move past it like what do we do and so it wasn't just like it wiped the slate clean and everything just moved on it took them years and years and years to process and figure out like how do we move past something like this it's just, it's interesting because culture is always slow to shift like that. Because you can't just no, move that, past it. Yeah, culture is slow to shift, but reality is, turns on a dime. So like, for instance, coronavirus has not erased all of the history before, but it has given us something new, a new input that did not yeah. exist in the past. So that's what I'm saying is it's not, like, the the modern mind is continually being updated but i don't know if you could take a mind this is kind of what happened with with the indians and and the settlement of america you couldn't take an indian mind and make him be a quote-unquote civilized man right his operating system did not have a slot to upload western civilization right so there was no there the the possibility of integrating was impossible. Not completely. 
Not completely. I agree. There I mean, there's 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 definitely some, and but I'm just saying with what's up. Well, yeah, because we talked about this the other day too. Um, it's not that they weren't capable in some way. I think when you compare like Indians to civilized people, I feel like that's kind of. No, I agree. Agreed. Hard. But if you just looked at every generation, every aspect of history, yes. Uh, the quote that I had read was, we think about the same things, we just think about them differently. Right. So, of course, like in the 21st century, we think about communication differently than someone living in the 1800s. Right, 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 right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, yes, things always change. Whoever is a product of that environment, it will think about that environment differently than someone who was not a product of it. Right. Because you have contextual uh, existence, right? So I wonder if, for instance, it's the same It's the same mind and the same capacity, but you raise one in 1700s versus you raise an Emmett, you know, mm-hmm. which is our current four-year-old. They're going to have vastly different operating systems that they're running on. But I would imagine that Emmett's perception, his ability to perceive a culture, adapt to it, integrate it, appreciate it, is going to be way higher than somebody in like 1600s or 1700s, right? When you when you came into contact, somebody was perceivably the other. They have their own culture and I have my own culture. Whereas now I feel like we're more culturally nomadic. You can't say just because I live in this region, I like this music, I like this food, I live like this lifestyle, right? It's a little bit more uh, dynamic than that. What? I think, so in language, linguistic change is linked to strong ties and weak ties. So if you have a community of only strong ties, like family, like a strong community, they said like Iceland's a good example because it's small. Mm -hmm. You are very slow to change because there's nothing introducing anything. Mm. But but you need the strong ties to keep the change, strengthen the change. Mm. So if you're also only a community of weak ties, like they say New York, then change doesn't stick. Everything's introduced, but it doesn't stick around because it's only weak ties. But if you have... Like Amarillo, I think, is a good example where you have weak ties and strong ties. So a lot of new changes are introduced, and they stick around because of the strong ties. Mm. And that's why language, well, language, I'm sure culture, can change quickly. And that's one of the reasons English has changed pretty rapidly, because there's such a good base of weak ties and strong ties. And I think the way America is set up does have a lot of weak ties and strong ties, so that culture as well can kind of change. I wonder... Work ties, you know? Like, I wonder if that would be considered a strong tie or a weak tie. I think it it depends depends. on how you... I think a lot of times it is considered a strong tie, but it it kind of depends on your type of work, A lot of people lost that whenever the government did the big shutdown, you know? People lost a lot of their engagement throughout the day because they were used to going to work, stopping in at the coffee shop, you know? Their third place. Their third place? Yeah, so that's another linguistic theory, which I think it's actually more of like a sociological theory, is that humans need a third place. That we have home and we have work, but we need like a socialization place. And so there was a sociologist years ago, like who was complaining about the cities, that if we don't have like squares or we don't have like outdoor areas, like the fountain area, or you know what I mean? Mm. Um, we don't have a third place. 
And it's also one of the theories why social media has really taken off is because it's now acting as our new third place. Right, yeah. Because we can now go online to socialize because we don't have a third place within our cities anymore. And then now on top of that, we have coronavirus. So right. now you're at home and you don't have that socialization place. Me personally, though, in social media, I'm like a mute. Yeah, I mean, I, too, I don't. But... I don't contribute at all. Yeah. I, I take in a lot of information and don't see a lot of media, but I don't contribute that much. So. Yeah, they were just saying, like, especially among teenagers who are super social, like, that mm. they're in a social stage. Throughout history, I mean, teenagers have hung out together. They've congregated. They need to, like, socialize. But now you're putting all of them in their homes. They don't necessarily have the mall yeah. or a spot to go hang out. So they're congregating on social media instead. Mm. Kind of interesting. Or on uh, Black Ops. Yeah, like, how many people? Form. How many people are playing video games and like literally have communities on their PlayStation that when they plug in, they actually talk with their friends and, you know, play hours of video games. But it is like a third space. It's something to do while we chit-chat or talk, play, mm. you know. I think that we're in this state of being cultural refugees where I can ascribe to a whole bunch of different popular movements. But what does that necessarily mean my culture is? I think a lot of it has been shooken up by the modern world. I'm talking about the last 80 years. I mean, to say that we're as tied to our ancestors as they were even 100 years ago, you know? I think you used to have your grandparents in the household with you, you know, multi-generational households and all this different stuff. I think we're very disconnected from where we came from and, and who we are. Now, I'm mostly speaking for myself, you know, but just in, uh, it, it's very difficult for me to ima even imagine what my ancestors were doing 200 years ago, how they lived their life, how they got along without electricity, without phones, without internet, without cars, without all these things. Like, they lived. People living 200 years ago probably have more in common with their ancestors of 1,000 years ago than they do with us. Exactly. Uh, I think a lot of that is because technology cultures right. become more dynamic just because of the increase in technology. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think a lot of that too sounds like tradition, not necessarily culture. Because we still have culture. It's just different, like you said. Well, it may I'm not saying. be recognizable. Yeah. We're refugees. We're not, we, we're not anchored in any particular particular traditions. tradition yeah right? traditions almost all almost every tradition has been bastardized everything has been reduced to consumeristic yeah that's what's ends, hard because you know? i actually think in a way it's really cool that we can take on new traditions or change traditions and do whatever we want i think that's kind of cool to have that freedom mm -hmm. but i don't like that a lot of our traditions are now just consumerism that's what i'm saying yeah right? i think that's depressing that's super depressing it's up to our generation to we have to first acknowledge the problem and the things that are contributing to us to our refugee status our uh, forced exodus type status to where I think that it, this is a this is a this is an epiphenomena of the of modernity. One of the things that like communist thought, Marxist thought, uh, got right was talking about the proletariat. You know, the voiceless mass of the majority. Just acknowledging that. I don't I don't know if that existed. Proles, proletariat yeah. didn't exist. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm wondering. You know, if there wasn't 
a united mass of people that shared the same interests across the entire globe. Like I probably share more with a firefighter in Germany that who's basically doing the same job, basically making the same wage and basically living the same life than I do with one of the richest people in Amarillo. Even though I share the same cultural base with the person in Amarillo, I probably share more sentiment with the, per- the firefighter in Germany. Does that make sense? It does. It's kind of a bold claim. I don't know. Like, I don't know if that would be true. I mean, I'm not sure you can know that. This is just what I'm saying is... You should go call up a firefighter in Germany. Well, I've met met a firefighter from Germany. Okay, so do you have like... Yeah, he stopped by the station and... And there's these huge, there are these huge firefighter conventions, like the one in New York City, the one in Colorado Springs, where firefighters from everywhere come together. Uh, <clears throat> we haven't made it to one yet. I want to actually make it to the one in Colorado Springs at some point. You may but not in a while. <laughs> I know. But when you do get to those points, that's what everybody comments on, everybody talks about, is how all of these firemen from all over the world, really, are pretty much the exact same person. Same culture, like yeah, fireman it's, culture. it's same fireman culture, a lot of the same sentiments, a lot of the same priorities, a lot of the same struggles. Maybe share more similar aspect with somebody who's in the same class as me mm-hmm. in a first world country on the other side of the world than somebody who is in a higher level class or lower level class than me. That's what I feel like was one of communism's or Marxist thought that has contributed to a different way of viewing the world is it unites the You were defined by your class. More so than by your geographical location. Yeah, the problem with Marxism though is it also unites the elite and then they hold on to their elitism. Mm -hmm. And then they actually uh, litigate their elitism into the society. Animal Farm is a perfect example of this. If <clears throat> if anybody is curious uh, as to like, what would that be? And it's not an analogy. What is that? Metaphor. No, yeah, I think but like using an... farm farm animals to to show communism. What is that? It's not metaphor. Personification. No, it is personification. But I'm talking like parable. Is it a parable? Oh yeah, I guess something like that. Parable. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, but read Animal Farm. It's a quick. Yeah. It's a metaphor. Yeah. Well, a parable is. It's. It's a metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're arguing semantics here. Yeah. yeah. People just need to go read Animal Farm because it it does show how all animals are equal, only some are more so. Is one of the lines. But also read Gramsci. So Gramsci has become like one of my favorite writers because he was a Marxist who was imprisoned. By yeah, the he was imprisoned because he was fighting against Mussolini, and he was leader of the Communist Party then. But he was always Mussolini so. Was. No, Mussolini was fascist. No, yeah, uh, and Antonio Gramsci was leader of the Communist oh, Party. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. So, but he was fighting against. Fascism. Which, which I argue, communism and fascism are a different side of the same coin. They're very closely. Related. Yeah, but he was—he's fascinating because he takes Marxist like thought, and he wants to know. Okay, like Marx, Marx predicted or said like there needs to be a revolution. Like the proletariats need to revolt in order to fix these class issues. But Gramsci's saying there hasn't been a revolution. There's no sign of a revolution. People are just buying into fascism, no big deal. Like, what's going on? So he writes extensively on how these class structures stay in place. So he kind of, like, looks at Marxism and says, okay, why do these, like, Marx explained these class structures. Why do they exist? How do they exist? And how are they staying so firm? I mean, how are they so stable? And how do the lower classes 
not always seem to mind. Like they're not seeming to revolt. So it's just a really great insight. I find him way more valuable than Marx because he seems to do a lot more extensive like research and writing on people's thoughts and hegemony and how it actually operates. Whereas Marx was a little bit more idealistic of yeah. what he thinks should happen. Gramsci's actually looking at like what is currently happening. Mussolini, that wasn't that long ago. Stalin, Hitler. I've heard recently that the Stalin exterminated far more people than Hitler. For sure. Yeah, no, uh, the estimates are crazy. It's like give or take 20 million. 20 um, that is million. Crazy. Give or take 20 million. That yeah, is a. You're not even sure. But it's, they say it's uh, like 20 to 50 million, something like that. Mm -hmm. Russians died. And that's when you said Lost Generation. Well, that's the go to mm -hmm. right there. Like, yeah. I want to say there's like, there was some age group of Russian men that pretty much got wiped out because of World War II. Yeah. Well, that, that was pretty much, they just threw men at Germany. Yeah, they paid in blood. Yeah, they were just like, yeah, send, send another 100,000 guys over there. Yeah, like, they, we, we only have 50,000 guns. It's like, oh, give the first one a gun, give the second one bullets. Say, follow this one till he dies, take his gun. It's like, oh my God. And when you were naming these dictators, uh, one popped into my head, a modern one, Xi, Xi Jinping. Yeah. And that's how China would fight, too. Oh, yeah. If they ever got into war, they would pay more than a billion people. <laughs> Was your degree in history? Is that right? Yeah. What was your like focus? Did you have a specialty? I didn't, no, I didn't, but I would say World War II. Just curious. I'm just most fascinated with World War II. Yeah. And we still don't really understand everything that was going on then, you know? What was it? What was the Operation Paperclip? Yeah. To incorporate Nazi scientists into <laughs> the United States? They like, got us to the moon. They did get us to the moon. Isn't that crazy? We're like, hey, uh, y'all are... Possibly the worst individuals who have ever lived, and y'all have committed atrocities, but you're pretty good with rockets. So. On the show Hunters, mm -hmm. have you seen that one on Amazon? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I've only watched like an episode or two, but it's basically about that, about how there's Nazis in America still, because, you know, and so that's like NASA and just how they are infiltrated into our society. Integrated. Infiltrated. Infiltrated? Maybe. Yeah. We brought them over. <laughs> we, uh, no, yeah, we brought well, them over. That's true. Yeah. And we gave them the states. But it's about it's about that. And I mean, it's not... The story's not based on a true story. Like the kid. But, I mean, that's it's, true. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of an interesting premise. It is kind of crazy. So now the kid is going to go hunt them and kill them. Like, that's the show. Oh, dang. Well, they these go were like... The these the were Jew like, that's going to go now kill the Nazis. Yeah. Anyway, that's a pretty interesting show. Man, we're, we kind of got off topic here. Cultural refugees. In the wake of development, we better start embracing novelty because we are about to be inundated with it. I am not sure what will be romanticized about our current time, uh, but buckle up because it's going to be a dynamic decade. I think this next one's going to be pretty dynamic. Possibly. The age of Aquarius. It's the age of Aquarius, man. We're about to enter that thing. It's going to be wild. That's, uh, I guess we can wrap it up. This is the Halloween show, you know? I would, I've been sitting on this metaphor the whole time. You were talking about, you know, the lost generation in between World War One and World War Two, And I was thinking about uh, forest fires. You know, they oh, yeah. they kill off all the old growth mm -hmm. and they come back in abundance mm -hmm. uh, pretty quickly. More so than mm -hmm. before the forest oh, fire. Oh, yeah. Well, and you have to have so, regular forest fires 
Because, like, a lot of the trees, this is what's interesting. BTUs is what kills trees. So how how high the heat is that burns through it, right? So for mesquite trees, this is particularly important in the Texas Panhandle. If you have a field and it's grass and mesquite trees and you want to kill off all the mesquite trees, you have to have that fire burn at a certain BTU or the mesquite tree will just weather the fire. The problem is a lot of these old growth forests, if you do not allow them to burn on a regular basis, then the amount of fuel load builds and builds and builds and builds. And instead of a BTU fire going through that does not kill the trees, now you have so much fuel load that the BTUs get way up and it kills all the trees, you know? So regular destruction brought in intentionally year after year leads to the hardiness of the forest. So hopefully... This fire doesn't burn at a higher BTU. The, this fire. Being, Hopefully, this doesn't kill the, the root. The pandemic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, this doesn't kill the roots of America. But I, I do definitely feel like the old growth is getting burnt off right now. Like America is definitely being refined and becoming something different and new. It's so, a, yeah. It seems in a it's a new transition. America. All right, we're gonna wrap this thing up. It's Halloween, twenty twenty. The uh, the chosen one, the chosen Halloween. So on a Saturday, oh, and full a full moon. moon that hasn't happened what since the forties? Since the forties, they yeah. say. I'm yeah. staying inside. It's gonna be crazy. I think it is gonna be kind of crazy. It's gonna be crazy, but um, thank y'all for joining us. Hopefully, you enjoyed this episode. Hit us up on Facebook. Got a got Panel Primate Podcast page. Uh, hit a you can give me a follow on Instagram. Check us out. Uh, if you enjoy this episode, give us a like on Apple Podcasts or just share this episode on Facebook or wherever you share your shit. Hopefully you're enjoying the show. We're going to try to work on refining the format as we go forward. I'm going to try to get a little bit better equipment, maybe get each person there uh, a higher quality microphone, some headphones and whatnot. Create the, Make this a professional uh, production. You know, we're going to try to get there. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed the show. I'd like to thank Austin for giving me, uh, what, an hour and a half of his time on a Saturday morning. I'd like to thank Shannon for giving us this time on a Saturday morning. No kids. Kids stayed over at my parents' last night. So this is valuable time. And I That's ate why up. It's so quiet. <laughs> I ate up a chunk of her valuable time with this podcast. It's precious time. Precious time. So anyway, I hope you enjoy this show. Share it. Like it. Do whatever you do with it. Um, Until next time, peace.